If you're looking for an episode that isn't a walk down memory lane for yours truly, you're gonna have a bad day. This is the Veteran Wargamer. This is the Veteran Wargamer. Welcome to episode 42. In this episode, I speak with Andrew Ragland. Andrew is the line developer for 1879. He's also on the board of directors of FASA and is the IT guy. Andrew, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on here. Well, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everybody else who comes on the show for the first time, and what makes you a veteran war gamer? Uh, not a whole heck of a lot. I'm a veteran role gamer. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing role-playing games since the late 1970s. Miniature gaming is a fairly new thing to me. Um, I started learning miniatures when I took over as line developer of 1879. Uh, it's both a role-playing game product line and a miniatures war game product line. Fortunately, I have had L. Ross Babcock III to teach me minis, which is, you know, a pretty major deal. Uh, Ross has been a minis guy for pretty much his entire life. He was one of the founders of FASA Corporation with uh, Jordan Weissman. Uh, and learning from him has been quite an experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. And let's see, in our, we exchanged some notes back and forth, and it looks like you've, you're a veteran veteran as well. Yes, I have my DD-214 from the United States Air Force. Oh, great. Now, before we get too far, uh, there might be some folks listening who aren't particularly familiar with FASA. Now, FASA was one of the first game companies I actually encountered because one of the first, for lack of a better term, hobby gaming products I remember even seeing was my brother picked up a combination pack of the Star Trek role-playing game and Star Trek Tactical Starship Combat Simulator. And we played a ton of the Hex and Chit and later Hex and Models uh, Star Trek spaceship game. So I, I guess, just so folks understand, where where did FASA come from and... What did they do in those early years, and kind of what happened to them, and what what brought you back? Okay, the history question. This is always uh, one. First off, uh, the rumors of our death were greatly exaggerated. We never actually went out of business. Mm-hmm. Um, FASA started off producing uh, supplements for Traveler. Okay. It, it started off with Ross and Jordan going, hey, you know, we've developed an awful lot of stuff for our campaign that might be useful for other people, and, you know, let's see about getting some of this out there and what we might be able to do with it. Ross and Jordan have been minis guys from the get-go. I mean, you look at Jordan Weissman, he's made his career out of reinventing minis. Um, he and Ross created Battletech, they which which is still a huge deal um catalyst games is still uh running with it there's been all sorts of stuff going on with BattleTech. um i think it's well known enough i don't need to list everything out um jordan went on to create hero clicks and um you know major deal he then went on to golem arcana at harebrained schemes and golem arcana uh 
really should have gotten a lot more press than it did. Um, and I'm saying this as someone who's with a rival company. Right. Dola Marquina took minis about two steps further than anybody else was going at the time. Um, it did away with the rule book. It integrated it into an app uh, so that you did not have to do rules lookups. Um, with, with, you had a Bluetooth stylus, tap a mini, tap another mini, and it tells you if you can attack and what your pluses and minuses are, ask you to confirm, you hit confirm, and it does all the calculations for you. It was a beautiful system. You could play it over the internet in real time. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, patch your app to somebody else's app, and you could play minis against somebody, you know, who was sitting in Berlin or, or Tokyo, and you could do this in real time. FASA itself uh, moved on from tra the Traveler supplements to a variety of stuff, uh, some licensed products, some original material. There was, of course, Battletech. There was Star Trek. Uh, we had the Star Trek role-playing game, which still gets some love. I still see it uh, selling for a nice uh, nice price on, it, on uh, eBay every now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, there is no chance of us ever bringing it back out. Uh, <laughs> the licensing has moved on. Yeah. Uh, Modifius has it now, and we're not going to try and compete with them. Let it, you know, go for it, guys. You know, you got you got the product out. Blessings to you. We we we're moving on. Uh, the Star Trek battles uh, thing it is worth focusing on for a minute. That gave us a starship miniatures combat that we've never really quite let go of. Um, there is starship combat in the very, in the bones of FASA all the way back to the traveler supplements. Mm -hmm. This leads me to a new, uh, our, one of our current products. Have you looked at noble armada? Yes. Noble Armada is Starship Miniatures Combat in the world of the Fading Suns game world. Um, Fading Suns is a sort of lost tech world, kind of like Battletech or Dune or whatever, where starships are rare and precious things. And so Noble Armada changes the dynamic with that one precept. Your tactics are based upon capture rather than destruction. Mm -hmm. You want to close and get a boarding party across. It's very much high seas adventure in space. You know, you're, you're trying to get close, get a boarding party over, capture the other ship, take a prize. You know, sort of an age of sail tactic, but it's in space. We've got new minis coming out uh, for Noble Armada um, so forth. I realize I'm jumping ahead to the new products here, but That's it okay. kind of ties in sure. back to our history. There is Starship Miniatures Combat in the bones of our company. Right. You know, we've seen that with uh, Renegade Legion. Oh, yes. Uh, 
Renegade Legion was one of our mo most loved products. Everybody wants to know if we're, if we're going to be able to bring back Renegade Legion. The answer is we're trying. Great. The problem comes, and I'm going to have to delve into the non-gaming side of the history a bit here. Um, we've moved through a lot of product lines, uh, Renegade Legion and Crimson Skies and uh, Mech Warrior, Shadowrun, uh, which took off like like Gangbusters, and mm -hmm. Earth Dawn, which didn't quite. It took Earth Dawn was a much slower burn. It took a long time for it to develop a loyal following. And then we hit the late nineties, or excuse me, the late, the, we hit the hit the the collapse of the card bubble, basically. Right. The collectible card games had flooded the market. Magic the Gathering was a massive success. Everybody wanted a piece of the action, and there were a lot of companies, FASA included, that rushed a card game into production without really looking at the market or looking at what made Magic so successful. These other card games flooded the market. They flooded the distributor. The distributors started uh, pushing off other stuff to carry the cards. You know, you've only got so much room in your warehouse. Right. The role gaming books got pushed off the shelves to make room for the cards, which everybody was demanding. The game stores made room for the cards by getting rid of other products. You know, you've only got so much space in your store. You can only carry so much. And then the, the bubble burst. A lot of these card games were not well thought out. Uh, FASA had a Shadowrun card game. We only ever brought out the, the initial deck. And then we looked at it and said, okay, this is not ever going to go anywhere. Uh, and we closed out that product. Unfortunately, the damage was done by that point. Uh, cards cannot be returned to the distributor. When books don't move, the game store can send them back to the distributor for credit and get other books, other product to put in their mm -hmm. store. Okay. When cards don't move, the game store is just stuck with them. Once you yeah. open the box, you cannot return them. A lot of game stores got stuck with product that nobody was buying. Uh, the distributors had product nobody was ordering. They couldn't get in role gaming books because they didn't have anywhere to put them. They didn't have the money to get them from the from the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. uh, their their capital was all tied up in all these cards. We've seen this in a lot of other product lines. You know this this bubble and bust cycle. The writing was on the wall. Uh, rather than go down in flames like um, so many other companies were doing, FASA made the decision to close down operations and become an IP holding company. Uh, we shut down the production of Earth Dawn 
and then licensed it out. More about that in a second. We sold Shadowrun and Battletech. Tops came to us and said, look, we want Shadowrun and Battletech. And we said, oh, really? And they pushed a check across the table, and we looked at the check and said, let us box that up for you. <laughs> um, they founded, uh, you know, in turn, Catalyst Game Studio. Catalyst is doing all sorts of stuff with Shadowrun and Battletech. It's not necessarily the direction FASA would have gone, but it's a big direction. And it is gratifying to see those properties with such massive displays at Gen Con and, mm -hmm. and still getting so much love. Great. And, and yeah. knowing that something that FASA birthed has gone off into the world and is, is still making such a huge impact. Right, right. So FASA uh, Corporation stepped back. We closed down our production. We stayed in business. We never went out of business. This, this is an important point. Mm -hmm. People always miss this. We licensed out Earth Dawn uh, to Living Room Games. They brought out second edition Earth Dawn. Didn't, didn't really take off. Red Brick came to us and said, look, um, we think second edition may have, maybe going in a different direction. What we'd like to do is to essentially go back to first edition and try again. Mm -hmm. We said, sure. They, they brought out Earth Dawn Classic. Earth Dawn Classic took all of the errata and all the, uh, the corrections and adjustments and so forth and folded it all into the main system. Uh, my personal campaign of Earth Dawn is still running Earth Dawn Classic. I've been running a campaign of Earth Dawn for 25 years, mm. and it's still running Earth Dawn Classic. We never moved to third edition. Um, Classic has all of the, uh, the stuff from first edition re-edited, put back together. Yeah, since we're, since we're talking about Earth Dawn, I, I don't remember a whole lot about it, but I do remember we played a couple sessions of it and i just remember that the universe itself the world of earth dawn was was pretty pretty unique and you know the late mid to late 90s you know most of your fantasy settings seem to be more tolkien-esque or right out of the D, D book seemingly you know okay you've got elves you've got dwarves and you know there's some sort of nebulous quote-unquote evil out there but earth dawn seemed a little bit well not more than just a little bit it seemed a little bit more swashbucklery to me uh maybe maybe that uh, image of the tiskrang swashbuckler is just it's just uh imprinted on my mind a little bit harder than than other uh, <laughs> images or races so you know you, you gotta like a lizard-like amphibian humanoid right <laughs> Tiskrang Swordmaster is one of our favorite images from the from the first edition. Um, you know, the the point of Earth Dawn was to take the tropes of sword and sorcery adventure and bake them into the game world mm -hmm. to explain why you have these things, make them part of the world and part of the mechanic, and and basically bake it all in together. Uh, we started out with the idea 
of heroic adventure. As you said, very swashbucklery. The idea that the right people in the right place at the right time could change the course of history. Uh, the idea of legendary adventure. We went sort of, uh, in a way, back to John Campbell and Bill Moyers and looked at the hero's journey um, there and at the mythic components of it. And that's where we built in the whole idea of legend points that right, you right. don't get experience. What you do is you build your legend. The more people who believe that you are a great hero, the more of a great hero you become. Mm -hmm. um, Earth Dawn still has all of that baked in. We still have the, uh, the eight name-giver races, um, including the Tuskrang. Yay. Uh, we have a, a, a deep game world, and we have explanations for why these things are present in the game world. You know, it's, it's a very crunchy game. Um, nowadays, crunch is, has become a bad word in a lot of circles. Um, some people really like the crunch level some people really want to go play fate and you know i love fate i think it's a great system i also happen to like a really crunchy system every now and then and so i run earth Dawn. my own system 1879 uses the same game uh, engine as earth dawn and so that makes my system a very crunchy one sure to get back to the history we wa sat back and watched for a while the, the industry went through some very hard times. Mm. We lost a lot of game stores. Your friendly local gaming store is absolutely critical to the industry. Even today, in the era of Kickstarter and Amazon, the local gaming store is where you can find a table to play at. It is, it is where people enter the hobby um, think of it as the recruiting station if you need to. We need the, the local gaming store in order to survive as an industry. The, game, the local gaming stores began recovering, and it took a while. They're still recovering. They're still struggling. Um, you know, brick-and-mortar stores have a very hard time of it nowadays. Mm-hmm. I'm here in New York. There are several brick-and-mortar stores here, and I go out of my way to go to those stores, run demos at them, um, get, bring them advertising material, bring them swag to hang out, hand out to the people who play in our games. Supporting those gaming stores is what rebuilt the industry, as far as I'm concerned. Once you have the gaming stores back together, then you have the call for the distributors, and then the distributors have a, have a call for the product from the manufacturer. At which point we come to the reunification. Um, after third edition Earth Dawn came out from Red Brick, Ross and James from Red Brick had a conversation about the future of the Earth Dawn product line that ended with the idea of getting the band back together. And we raised the banner of FASA once more. Now, FASA Corporation 
is still mm -hmm. an IP holding company. Um, what we did is we created FASA Games Incorporated as a wholly owned subsidiary of FASA to be the production arm of the company. FASA Games is the development studio and the publishing studio. Mm -hmm. FASA Games Incorporated is the development and publishing uh, arm of the company. FASA Games is where the mm -hmm. game creation occurs, where the Kickstarters are launched from, where the books come from. The, the intellectual property is managed by FASA Corporation. Now, FASA Corporation also owns Ralpartha Europe. Ralpartha is still around. Uh, they're operating mm -hmm. out of Liverpool over in England. Yeah. If you go to realpartha.co.uk, um, there's their web shop. They put out all sorts of wonderful things. They are producing the minis for the 1879 war game, for the Demon World war game, um, and for Noble Armada. They're making our starships for us. So, you know, if you're looking for some way to judge the quality here, Look at the name. I mean, this is Ralpartha. That pretty right. much brings us up to the present. You know, we have Earth Dawn, fourth edition out. We just brought out the Companion, 1879. Um, the role-playing game has four books out. The miniatures game is out. We are just about to kickstart two army books and a whole new line of miniatures uh, for the 1879 minis game. Uh Noble Armada is uh, bringing out new house books, and um, Demon World has a Kickstarter going right now for the Elf Army book. Uh, we're, we've brought mm -hmm. out some new minis for the Elves uh, for Demon World. We've got the Elf, the new Elf Army book uh, coming out. Kickstarter is still open. Go hit, go hit Kickstarter and check it out. Um, get in on the, the new minis while you can get them at uh, the Kickstarter prices. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the minis games that we've gotten now, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. So, what we're up to now, um, yeah, I just talked about the uh, Kickstarter uh, for Demon World. Uh, Earth, uh, The Elf book is in Kickstarter. We've got more coming along. Uh, we also have a lot of sculpts in progress uh, for Demon World. A lot of stuff that's in green right now that hasn't gone to metal. Among other things, we are finally bringing out the demons. Uh, Demon World was created by a German company years ago. FASA bought the game from them. We've been developing it. There's been a lot of work put in on the various races of the game world. But... Um, yeah, for some reason, uh, the, the uh, it just never quite got around to putting the demons themselves on the battlefield, and we're fixing that. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, that that was that was a long time in coming. Yeah, I I played quite a bit of Demon World uh, when it first hit the United States, and really enjoyed the game. Um, mm -hmm. I'm really looking forward to getting coming to grips with it again. I I think. 15 mil is a is a great size for figures in a in a large fantasy game and I'd like to 
get back to it. I, I had a sizable orc army at the time and really enjoyed painting and uh, playing with it. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, when I went to college, it ended up getting sold off. And I, I fear, <laughs> I fear that all I did is spend that money on beer, but that's, oh. that's college life for you, I suppose. But you know, the, the minis are, are still there. Um, and there's a, uh, fairly sizable community. There's a lot of people playing Demon World. There's a lot of people playing uh, various Victorian uh, era adventures. Uh, if you go over onto Facebook, there's a Victorian uh, science fiction enthusiast group. I think I'm getting the name right. I'd, I'd have to go look it up. I, I don't want to try and bring it up in my browser. We're having enough delay with the uh, Wi-Fi as it is. But if you go look on Facebook, there's a group that's specifically dedicated to Victorian era and kind of steampunk uh, miniatures. You you get a lot of build photos uh, where people are like, okay, watch me take this spare part and turn it into a 15 mil steam tank. You know, I have these these loose bits here, and I'm going to make a Martian tripod walker to put up against my Victorian soldiers. Right, right, yeah. A lot of build photos, a lot of uh, painting photos. Uh, we're posting some of our own stuff from the 1879 product line. So, you know, very enthusiastic community. Mm-hmm. Let's see, we've already covered uh, Demon World uh, as far as plans for new miniatures. Um and further books are in editorial. Uh, we have um, a variety of stuff coming. Just you know, watch this space. There will be announcements. We do have a blog at fasagames.com. If you go uh, check out the games, uh, the website, you you can see the progress for all our games. We have a weekly blog for all of our product lines. Uh, mine actually went up this morning. And uh, so I'll be, after we do this recording session, this is on a Sunday morning, I'll be going and uh, pushing that over to social media. We are on Twitter, and we're on Facebook, and we're on Google+. Uh, We have our own website for uh, the blog and for our online shop. The 1879... Uh, uses the 15 mil as well, or 18 mil actually, um, but uh, you know, we're using an, an engine called Universal 18. It's the same engine that you find in Demon World. Uh, Ross Babcock did some redevelopment on it for the second edition Demon World, and then we just lifted that engine in its entirety and built 1879 around it. Okay. So. Demon World, you have your your basic fantasy races with some variation. The dwarves are more earth elementals. Um, they go barefoot so that they can maintain contact with the earth. And in the in the fiction of the game, uh, they can survive on dirt and rocks for short periods of time uh, without uh, food that other people recognize as food. Um, there's, there's some variations in the, in the fiction that doesn't necessarily show up as much in the minis game. We are working on developing a role-playing game based on Demon World. 
Uh, that's going to be interesting. Uh, we're looking at a sort of high fantasy survival horror environment for that. Premise being, long ago, the demon hordes ravaged the world, the various races banded together, drove them back beyond the veil, got, got the veil sealed. Now, hundreds, thousands of years later, uh, the various races of the world are back at their competitiveness and internecine warfare, but the veil is cracking. The, the demons are going to be back in the world, and if the various races don't learn to cooperate, they're not going to survive. Right now, uh, it's, it's the conflict is still in the early stages, and so you have the various racial miniatures, the elves and the thane and the dwarves and so forth, uh, where you can stage the uh, competitive battles between the different races. Once we get the demon book and demon miniatures out, then the big war begins, at which point you're talking about Warhammer scale table layouts. Going with the, the 18 mil miniatures means that you can field an entire regiment for the cost of two or three of the bigger minis. And we're looking at uh, trying to keep this playable on an epic scale within reach of the average gamer's budget. 1879 puts uh, the British and various other um, Earth nations, British go in first, on another world and confronting a uh, couple of powers. Premise of the game world being that in an alternate hi uh, history where things had already gone a bit differently, in 1877, there's a weird science experiment that goes horribly awry, and it leaves a stable wormhole sitting in the middle of Greenwich Park. And so, you know, the British Empire, of course, runs uh, rails through it and uh, starts colonizing this other world on the other side. And they run headlong into the Sarids and the Samsut. The Sarids are the native race uh, who looks suspiciously like the Tuscrang. We were talking about them earlier. The culture is different, but they look very familiar as a species. They're not exactly welcoming of the British. What you've got is sort of a replay of the uh, European arrival on the continent of North America, where some of the Sarids are like, okay, you know, let's be friends. And some are like, we don't know about this. And some are like, no, no, we're not going to be friends. It's not happening. And so you have a few Sarids fighting on the side of the British and some Sarids uh, fighting against the British makes for some complicated battles. And then you have the Samsut. There was another wormhole 3,000 years ago right around the time of the fall of Babylon. And the Babylonians, later the, later the Akkadians and the Hittites, uh, went through the wormhole and founded a civilization, and then the wormhole closed and cut off uh, contact with Earth. That wormhole gets lost in myth and legend, as such things do. You know, when all, the only records you have are cuneiform tablets, that only a handful of people in the modern era understand. And it, it becomes hard to tell 
what actually happened from what is the mythology of their religion. And so people don't uh, didn't really take it seriously until just recently when they were beginning to realize, hey, wait a minute, we, we might actually have records of another wormhole here. In the meantime, the Samsut on the other side of the wormhole found a, tra a trove of alien technology and kind of sort of figured out how to make some of it work. They have battery-powered undead. And so when you look at the cover of the Minis core book and you see these uh, two British soldiers dealing with um, skeletons in vaguely Middle Eastern-looking armor, yeah, um, what they're trying to do is hit those things in the battery. If you can knock the battery out of the, out of the rib cage, they collapse into a pile of bone. Until then, they're a really major problem because shooting them just, anno just annoys the controller. They're kind of like drones. If you've ever played Shadowrun, mm -hmm. imagine a rigger who's piloting zombies and skeletons instead of uh, technological drones. The Samsat have these guys called Tare Shlamtuim. Yeah. The Tare has a, a big neuro helmet and basically jacks into the undead and pilots them. Technological necromancy. So you have skeletons instead of artillery. Uh, the Samsut use their skeletons the way the British would use artillery. You fire them at the enemy to soften them up before the main charge. They're sort of, they, you know, you've got fire and forget munitions. The Samsut then send in the zombies, uh, because you use, use, use your undead to soak uh, enemy ammunition for a little while. Uh, let the enemy uh, spend a bunch of ammo on troops that aren't going to feel it and um, are going to be real hard to take down just by shooting at them. And then you bring in the living troops. Mm -hmm. So you've got successive waves of minis coming across the board um, from the Somset lines. You have your mobs of skeletons launching. You have your relentless waves of zombies coming across. And then you have the living troops behind them uh, with uh, your infantry and your cavalry and so forth. This is the late 1800s. The tactics have not quite caught up to the technology, as tends to happen. Um, at this point, mm -hmm. the British are fielding uh, the Martini Henry Mark II, which is a repeating rifle, but they're still marching in lines like they did in the days of the musket and still firing in volley. Haven't quite adapted their tactics uh, to the technology. We're also dealing with the early introduction of the tank in modern warfare. This being a steampunk game, mm -hmm. uh, we are introducing advanced technology uh, so we've got steam-driven tanks. They're called kettles. You know, the, the name tank comes from the World War I attempt to disguise these armored vehicles as water storage tanks in order to, to sneak them onto the field. 
Right. Um, in uh, 1879, they're called kettles because they're full of boiling water and occasionally they whistle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the command hasn't quite figured it out. We're, we're sort of mirroring the introduction of the tank in World War I uh, back to the 1880s where initially they're, they're treating it as sort of self-mobile artillery and wanting to put the tanks up on the high ground where they can fire down onto the enemy. They, they're just starting to learn about putting the tank in the front and using it to open a hole in the enemy line so that your infantry can then pour through and be more effective. The rules in, in mm-hmm. the books uh, kind of make this clear that a lot of the uh, a lot of the battle scenarios start with your armored vehicles, if you have any in the engagement, positioned at the rear and on the high ground. And so then you have the problem of trying if you want to try and introduce more modern tactics, you've got basically a rogue commander who's got to try and figure out how to get his armored vehicles through the maneuver penalties down to the front line in time to be effective. We have um, also brought in a uh, few other things. You know, we have the return of magic to the world. The entire universe sounds fascinating. Now, for your British troops, just about any regular historical range could work. And I guess if uh, if someone wanted to, they could use larger figures as well. Uh, with, as you mentioned, a little bit of uh, kit bashing and, and modification. Absolutely. Um, the rules for Universal 18 are fairly abstract. Uh, a model can represent an individual skirmisher or can represent a platoon or you know whatever you say it represents. What matters is the hit value of the model, how many hits it takes to, t- to remove the model from the field. Um, it's, movement is all in terms of inches. And so it's, it's a, a somewhat abstract uh, movement system. It's not meant to be uh, very granularly simulationist. You could use pretty much anything uh, as far as Victorian era, uh, late Victorian era troops. You kind of want to go Battle of Isandlwana or later, uh, just about the point where the red coats are giving way to the khaki uniforms. Now, some of the special forces, uh, you're going to have some kit bashing involved, or you're going to need the official minis. Uh, for example, with the Samsut, um, you could use pretty much any skeleton or zombie minis uh, for the basic ones. For the rail gunners, you're probably going to want ours because you're going to have uh, some problems finding zombies carrying rifles. Uh, for the right. Samsut living troops, their air cavalry, you know, where are you going you, to have to fi- uh, think about um, where you might find um, Middle Eastern warriors riding on pteranodons. <laughs> With the British troops and the Prussians and the French, you know, we, are br- we, we only have the British uh, force book uh, at this point in Kickstarter. The French and Prussian force books, the army books, are still in editorial. They'll be introducing some, some special forces of their own. Uh, we have the minis in sculpt right now. The British bring in um, 
the Order of Britannia Victorious, which are the military mages. Now there you can use, again, pretty much any Victorian mini. You just uh, want to use uh, your, your paint job to designate this, this model as a mage rather than a uh, field commander. It's a matter of color of insignia, which at that at, at the eighteen millimeter scale is barely a touch uh, with with a paintbrush. The steam tanks, you, know, you probably could uh, use whatever you want. Just say, okay, this is a Geordie class um, you know, medium steam tank. Working doing the metal anyway. With the sarids, um, yeah. Um, Trying to find other minis might be a little difficult. Right, right. Although I gotta admit, having having a bunch of Tuscrang to field as as units is is definitely going to be a, a plus in my book. Uh, for for other fantasy games or uh, the eighteen seventy nine line for that matter. Now, if you don't mind, uh, wanted to touch back on the history of Fasa just real briefly. And there was one game that I played quite a bit of that you didn't mention. And actually, one of my friends, Joel, he's been on the show before, is a huge fan of, of Vor. And if you don't want to talk about Vor because there's something else behind the scenes that didn't quite go okay, that's fine too. But I guess what, how did Vor come about, to your knowledge, and where did it, <sighs> what happened to it? Vor is one that I'm really not qualified to talk about. Um, I just don't know the history on it as well as I know a lot of our other older lines. Um, what I can say is that it and Crimson Skies and Renegade Legion all got caught up in the redistribution of IP rights when we shut down operations, um, low these many years ago. People went their separate ways. Um, there were things bits sold off to other companies, stuff reacquired. At this point, um, the IP rights to our older games are tied up in such a, a, a snarl that we've got lawyers working on it. Um, we've got... The one uh, we're we're really trying to get the rights cleared for Renegade Legion. We are so close to getting the rights cleared on Renegade Legion. Uh, we get a lot of call for that one, and we're we're down to like the last couple of steps. If we can just coax this through the legal process, <sighs> it it largely comes down to the lawyers doing lots and lots of paperwork. Uh, Crimson Skies is really next on our priority list. Uh, if we can get Renegade Legion uh, cleared, we want to get Crimson Skies cleared next. Again, it's a matter of how many people have asked us for it. If people want to see Vor come back, they need to let us know this. Um, we have forums. We have a contact at facetgames.com email address. Uh, we're at various conventions. We're not just at Gen Con. Um, I was at uh, Vandalia Con a couple of weekends ago. 
and at the Steampunk Symposium before that. Uh, we've got people at Origins. We're here and there. Find us. Let us know. Um, if, if you want uh, Vore to come back, you gotta got to put in your vote. The, we're working on uh, what, what is sure. the most popular to try and bring back. Right. Absolutely. And uh, what's your next six months, 12 months uh, look like? Next six months to 12 months, um, we have Earth Dawn, 4th edition. We have the Companion at the printer. We will have it coming out in soft cover and limited edition hardcover. The hardcovers are 99% already sold to Kickstarter backers. There will be a few available. We'll be auctioning them off at Gen Con uh, and so forth. After that, the Questers book for Earth Dawn will be coming out. It is in layout. The uh, Elven Nations book is in editorial, and it will be out in the next six months. And that will finally complete the Earth Dawn Kickstarter. And we are so sorry that it has taken this long. We've, uh, we, we are getting the books out. They are getting done the we are we will deliver earthstone beyond that is going to be going uh toward advancing the game world um we'll be pushing forth the meta plot we have a variety of things going on there that i uh, best option is to watch the blog 1879 uh once the Demon World Kickstarter closes, uh, the 1879 uh, Miniatures Kickstarter will launch. Uh, we will be kickstarting for the art and printing costs for the British Force Book and the Samsut Force Book. Uh, these are 128 pages and 160 pages, respectively. They are already in layout. Uh, the miniatures are already in metal. We will be bringing out a number of new minis for the British and for the Somerset forces with the army books. You'll see those all in the Kickstarter. 1879 roll game. We have the Player's Companion and GM's Companion um, in, uh, in draft right now. We're hoping to get it to get both those books to editorial shortly after Gen Con. The next adventure for 1879, uh, the second in the Akkadian Connection trilogy, is currently in playtest. It's uh, titled Sarids on the Grovner Express. Um, if you follow us on Facebook, um, our lead artist for 1879, Don Higgins, just completed an illustrator's master class and uh, used the cover for Sards on the Grovner Express for his masterwork for that class. Um, you can see the pencils for that art on Facebook right now. 1879 is going to be progressing in developing the game world. We have a number of location books uh, uh, in progress. The London book is already out in soft cover. 
The Paris book is on its way. Uh, there's a Berlin source book coming, and there's a Fort Alice source book for the Grovner world, for the world on the other side of the uh, wormhole. The Sarids book and the Samsut book are both in draft. Uh, the Sarids and the Samsut will be playable characters in the role-playing game. Um, we've already shown that off at uh, Gen Con in previous years with a Sarids adventure and a Samsut adventure. Demon World, uh, we have a number of army books forthcoming. We have new minis, some in metal, some still in green. We have um, a lot of stuff forthcoming, and there is the possibility of a Demon World role-playing game. Noble Armada, uh, we've uh, just brought out uh, some new stuff for it. We have a number of house books that are in layout. We have new starships, uh, some that have just hit metal, and some that are still in green, some that are still in concept art, and waiting for the sculptors. A lot of stuff going on. Keep an eye on our blog uh, at fastgames.com and watch us on social media, Facebook, G+, and Twitter. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of exciting development going on across all the lines, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where, where these go. Uh, Demon World really excites me. Uh, the idea that uh, Renegade Legion is possibly around the corner excites me. I, I spent a lot of time playing that. I enjoyed that setting quite a bit. Um, I'll have to take a closer look at 1879 uh, and Earth Dawn, of course, both. Uh, so it's, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing where y'all are able to go here in the next year or so. So, uh, Andrew, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. And Thanks for putting up with our <laughs> with our technical difficulties. We'll certainly get the word out about the Kickstarter. At the time of recording, there's a week left, and I did go ahead and back it while we were talking because I, I do want to see more Demon World goodness out, out in our world. The moral of my personal story with having folks that are kickstarting stuff is if, if you want me to back your Kickstarter, just come on my show because I'm batting a 1,000 right now. Hey, we appreciate it. Thank you so very much for having me on and giving me this time to ramble on about the thing about the things that I love doing. Well, if anything, this is definitely a place for uh, gamers of all stripes to ramble about what they love. So, so again, thanks, Andrew, and thanks to FASA for for keeping alive and and moving forward. And as always, folks, if the war gaming you're having isn't any fun. You make it fun. That is all. The Veteran Wargamer copyright J. Arnold 2018. Be sure to leave a positive review on iTunes. If you'd like to join the discussion, head to the blog at theveteranwargamer.blogspot.com.